Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times, coming into your ears once again on a Monday morning. And there's loads to get on with, so let's get on with it. It's a Champions Cup semi-final week with Exeter Chiefs, Leinster, La Rochelle, Toulouse, all not in that order. I don't know why I've said them in that order. But yeah, we've got that. We've got the Challenge Cup, the Premiership's sorted out its top four, and Alex Lowe is with me. Hello. How's it going? Good. Good, thank you. Yeah, less croaky than last week. Yes, you've recovered. Uh, yeah. Suntan yeah. fading by the week yeah, as well. Yeah, sadly. Um, had a, I, I was at Saracens on Sunday, uh, watched the Gloucester game on Saturday on the telly. Uh, good, yeah, good spirits. We were talking off air and I we both reckon maybe only once have gone to what was the Allianz and now is the Stonex and seen Saracens lose. They just seem to have this mad home record. I mean, we don't always go there every week, obviously, because we're doing England stuff and everything else, but... They're just a bit relentless there, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And they were... Um, so they were rusty, first 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Mm. London Irish came out like a steam train, and they had to, because Northampton had won Friday night, Northampton's, and that was the end of their season, and they'd opened a seven-point cushion in fourth place. So London Irish, I mean, they were various... It was a, very, a convoluted way of... They could draw one game and win the other, but basically they needed two wins from the last two games. And they'd had a month, as we spoke with Les Kiss last week, they had a month to, to think yeah, about it. yeah. And they came out and played brilliantly for 20, 25 minutes. Real like power. I think like the 20-minute mark, the tackle, I think Saris had made 47 tackles and Lanarcha made five. <laughs> Just as an, an example of... Yeah. But the, the variety of what they were doing was really good. Some, some intelligent kicking, real power... And some movement in the backs, creativity. Like they were, they were testing Saracens, and they scored the try, penalty first, scored the try through Matt Rogerson, ten nil up. They're in a really strong position, and then Ben Loder drops a high ball, and it was you just, it was just one of those moments when a team who's on the on the front foot against Saracens cannot afford to do because, however scratchy Saracens are they feed off those moments. Mm. They were just hanging in there. Farrell seemed to make about half of those 47 tackles. He was everywhere <laughs> in defence. They just were almost hanging on, waiting for that foothold back in the game, which they got. And for the second half of the first half, they were all over London Irish, but I kept dropping the ball, mistakes at line-outs, scrum penalties against them. Nothing was really going their way. Then they manufactured a try out of nothing, quick line-out, having just dropped two 
that they'd wasted two opportunities inside the Irish 22 with drop balls. Itoji dropped his second one. Yeah. The Irish cleared That's it. Weird, that. Lots and then they just... They then threw a quick line out, Alex Good to Max Malians. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Malians is stranded on his own, but they find a way out of it. Bang, bang, bang. Down the short side. Ben mm. back to Alex Good. Score the try. And from there, this is only going one way now. They've sort of shaved the rust off themselves. Irish were starting to look frayed. Some stupid penalties, from one from Rob Simmons in particular. Two minutes into the second half, Rob Simmons gets yellow carded. Comes out another yellow card for him. High tackle on Theo Dan, who was awesome at hooker. And that's game over. Yeah. I mean, they actually, they managed that period pretty well, London Irish. It was 2016 at the end of it, having been 13-10 down at the interval. But Saracens were just in there, finding their groove again. Farrell running the show, Theo Dan, and say, really good. Dr- driving more got going, and, 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 and that was that. And it was... It was Saracens, I think, just, you know, they're, they're having to manage this odd period in the season where having lost to La Rochelle but already secured a home semi, they had six weeks mm. of rugby, or six weeks till the semi-finals with a couple of Prem games and then a couple of weeks off in some enforced rest for England players. How do they manage it? Well, this was, this was their, I think, their one proper hit out before the semi-final. I don't think they're going to go full bore. In in the last weekend against Bath, Mark McCall said afterwards that you get a concussion and HIA in that game, yeah. your player misses the semi-final mm. nowadays. So I don't think he's going to risk anyone there. So this was the game. And unfortunately for London Irish, it meant that Saracens had played a weaker team against Northampton and then a stronger team against against them. And as we were saying before, there is there's a conspiracy, conspiracy theory, theory oh. that Saracens prefer to play Northampton in the semi-final and so engineered it this way I, I don't I don't buy that particularly the way they played on Sunday mm. I think they'd have they wouldn't have worried about playing either. either way I do think that they will the way that the two sides play I, I'd fear for, for Northampton going to going to the Stonex but uh, Saracens had to rest their England players for that Northampton game plus as Declan Kidney slightly through gritted teeth he did say they have earned the right to do that by securing a home semi yeah. and, and what's interesting for me about Saracens is they just found that groove. They've got to try and maintain that momentum going into a home semi against Northampton, which I suspect that they'll win. Mm. But the other semi-final, can they match the power and the nous and the wisdom of of Sale and Leicester Tigers? Their back row, as we as we said before, is is depleted. Jackson Ray is having to step up, and he is stepping up. He was excellent again. So it's the 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 climax of the season will be interesting. The problem is that we've got. We've got another round of the Prem to go with really hardly anything riding on it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then a couple of weeks where the, the attention switches back to Europe. Do you want some stats now from... Uh, I'd expect nothing less Yeah, from... well, the kind lads at Opta have helped with a few of these things that I'm going to turn into something for the Monday more for time subscribers. And it doesn't look good for Northampton going to Saris, basically, <laughs> is the theme. Um, Northampton that, that was they beat, so they smashed Newcastle on Friday night and Newcastle kind of some of those try, like there was one where Alex Mitchell just walked through the middle of mm. the whole defence and you think wow that's not great that was only Northampton's second away win of the season which isn't the best is it although actually Leicester only have won four away games of the season so I think that theme of I think we said it last week that 82% of home teams win their mm. playoffs so getting that home semi for both Saris and Sale really important. Which, and given given that those stats, was it two round two weekends ago there were nine teams who could yeah, who now, could qualify for the top four, and now it's done and dusted with a week left. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other thing is that Saracens have won four out of the last five against Northampton anywhere, 
and Sale have won four out of the last five against Leicester anyway. Do you remember those days though when Saracens Northampton was massive the game, yeah. Derby? Twenty fourteen, like, that sort of era. Yeah. It was like when Tonga Weir had mm. effectively committed to joining Saracens and then ripped up the deal and went back to Northampton and Ashton did join Saracens yeah, from Northampton. Yeah. Saracens went up there and put a put that big banner on on the lift tower next to Oh, did they? I don't yeah, remember that. Yeah. What was that? Oh, was, Ed Griffiths was having the time of his life, <laughs> just like try, poking the bear, trying to find creative ways to to get under their skin. It just made, you know, we talk about narratives and all that in the Prem. That rivalry at that period of time was was fantastic. It was really kind of spicy, which yeah. is exactly what you want. You know, you want, you want a bit of animosity, you know, right in, within its context, mm. some spice uh, uh, to a game. And just this semi won't have that, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Saris have never lost at home this season in the Prem either. They're ten from ten, yeah. and Sale have only lost once at home this season too. So it is really looking Sale Sarisy in the final, isn't it? And the one thing about Northampton, which people have been writing about lots this season, is that they've been a remarkable team of two halves, where their attack is the best in the league, but their defence is the worst. Mm. It's mad that mm. I mean, most points scored, most points conceded, most tries scored, most tries conceded. <laughs> they've got the most carry meters and most missed tackles they've got the most line breaks and most line breaks conceded they're such a mad team like that yeah but that's why Saracens will relish playing them because yeah. they'll, they'll bat themselves to put a, a blanket over that attack but then and absolutely try and, and maximise against that the holes in that defence yeah. with, with the intelligence that they've got the playmaking intelligence that they've got and the finishing qualities that wide and, and they you know they still have you know, they've still got players. Like Theo Dan has come in and he's been outstanding. And Jamie George will be back to play hooker in that in that semi final. Theo Dan was outstanding on a, on on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And I should probably apologise to London Irish fans for having said last week that I think they'll get through and they bottled it the first opportunity. Well, thought, but is one season too soon maybe for them? Yeah, they just I, don't quite have the depth. Everywhere. I thought they'd get through because I thought I thought Saracens would. Hold back there, yeah, do, or at least the do a half game. team, yeah. maybe. Yeah, um, so yeah, but shows what we know. Yeah. Um, season two soon, probably, although they're Depends losing who owns them next year, I suppose. They're well, they're losing Ollie Hassel Collins, Rob Simmons, who has been massive for them. I mm. had a few conversations with people at the club last week, including Les Kiss on, on the pod. It's clear how important he's been, and Tom Parton's leaving. Like Henry Arundel's still on the bench there. Like, yeah, it feels like he hasn't. Well, he came on early, didn't he? But and did I mean, mm. got swallowed up? Yeah. by by Saracens. Yeah. So the, they they've got they've got the core still of an exciting team and some some real young English talent there. They've got Fat Asavo at number eight, who on both sides of the ball is a monster. Like his his carry off the back of a line out from the Matt Rogerson try, just. Like punched a hole in the Saracens mm. defence and they scored two two quick phases later really good and then he melted Hugh Tizard <laughs> like it was it was a, the most telegraphed little pass from yeah. Van Zyl that you could you could imagine and and he, he got Tizard got lined up from distance and on his blind side just but it was te- just textbook well, it was perfect. proper yeah, yeah perfect aggressive tackle that was totally legal and so brilliant they, they do have they do have players you talk about one season to only they're going to lose some players they do have a core there they've got some really good coaches in mm. place there they've got some promising young players coming through um i was i was actually talking to alex corbiziero earlier this week who oh last week sorry who's 
coaching out of San Diego. They've got a they've taken a young prop out there on loan from London Irish. Who okay, he reckons that give him a year of just playing MLR and just getting some rugby in him mm. will be Premiership quality. Like another one prop, yeah, for, for next season. The problem is we don't know what the future looks like. And mm. this week I heard from three different people who you would who could know or should know what's happening with this takeover. Within 24 hours, I heard someone say the deal's the deal's collapsed. Someone say the deal is is tangled up in red tape, mm. regulatory issues over who the sort of primary owner would be because it's a it's a consortium. And the third person saying, "Oh, it's all looking really positive. It's almost <laughs> done." So, God. yeah, I mean, it's it's. We asked Les Kiss last week about how you how the players have been shielded from that. There's a promising rugby club there, but there's no mm. stadium. They still haven't. This takeover still hasn't happened. The month is nearly at its end. Do we, are we sure the players are going to be paid? We don't want to get back into that cycle that we 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 all experienced the first half of the season. So there are. There's promise, but also worry for me over, yeah, over London yeah. Irish. I suppose it, which segs us on to what we're going to get onto later. The thing they have secured now is uh, Champions Cup rugby mm. for next season, which would be a good thing. I mean, that always helps, doesn't it? The coffers. And the game that I was at, I wasn't actually reporting, but just went along with my girlfriend and her family, because they're all Bath fans, was the, the big summer kickoff, Quinn's Bath. And you look at Bath now and you think, God, it's remarkable. They're ninth and the same points as Bristol, and they could sneak into the Champions Cup, having been terrible for most of the season. Yeah. And in some ways you think, as with lots of seasons before, is that actually a good thing? Would Bath not be better in the Challenge Cup? I know they're getting Finn Russell to come and they've never struggled to have a good team on paper, but you think the years and years and years and years of people sneaking into the top European competition and then absolutely getting smashed up the next season, just I always hate that. It just feels yeah, pointless I think, to me. Ideally, the Champions Cup wouldn't be 24 teams because yeah. you, it just it becomes a... A slow burning competition. It takes too long for there to be matchups that truly matter. Yeah, um, it always gets there, but it just takes it, five it, it months. It gets there, and, and you know, I will hear later in in the pod about this coming weekend's semi-finals and you know, Toulouse Leinster is an absolute well Leinster Toulouse. I mean, what a what a showdown that's going to be, mm. and the final, whoever's in it, it will be a belter. But it takes too long to get there for Definitely, me, yeah. and the the Champions Cup should be the best of the best. Yeah. So on that big summer kickoff thing, as you were saying, the Premiership Rugby keen to kind of innovate and do some new things, and they want to take the lead from Quinns and do a few more of these big events, tent poles through the season where yeah. they kind of hang a narrative off them. And feel sorry for Quinns in some ways about this season because it looked fairly sparse on Saturday, but even though it was still 44,000, it just doesn't help that it's a big stadium, isn't it? But they got completely savaged by the train strikes over Christmas, which meant they had to move the big game on the 27th of December. And I think that's lost them over a million pounds just by the admin of then putting it on again in March against Exeter, which was that weird Marcus Smith game where he went back and played and they won. And then they were trying to sell that game and the one on Saturday in a kind of similar ticketing Mm. space. So... Maybe that affected the attendances, but, but, but on the field they've still got dipped to say off. Forty-four thousand for a game with oh, nothing yeah. riding on it. Well, that was the other thing. At, yeah. Look at it in in context. That's 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 a hell of a. Because on Friday, if Newcastle had turned up, that could have helped Quinns have a very vague mm. shout at getting still into the top four. But having seen that result on Friday, everyone went, "All oh, right, well, there's nothing really on this game at all." And and I don't know, something's happened to Quinns this season. They were sort of comfortably third around Christmas, and now dived off a cliff and conceding so many points, 40-odd mm. points, 30 points every week. I don't quite know what's happened there, but too it's much sun in Cape Town. Gloucester 
have fallen away similarly. Yeah. But in reverse, London Irish were bottom after 11 rounds. Yeah, and, yeah. and they were, well, they were two games away from making the playoffs. Yeah, well, and and we mentioned Bath. like They were sort of absolute yeah. rock bottom for ages. And now they could be in the bloody Champions Cup next season, which is mad. But so, while we're talking about the Champions Cup, should we... we We've done a fair bit of prim there, but it is a, a semi-final weekend. So why don't we talk all things Europe, or what was Europe? Uh, because we've got two big guests coming up on the ruck. We've got the chairman of EPCR, the, the guys that organised the the two, well, the Challenge Cup and the Champions Cup. That's Don Mackay. He's coming on to talk to us. And then after that, we're going to talk to England and Exeter Chiefs centre Henry Slade because he's playing one of, the, one of the last big games with all of his mates who are all leaving against La Rochelle and Bordeaux on Sunday, which should be an epic game. So let's and as a West Ham fan, he's got two massive European semi-finals. Oh yeah, to the European to. Conference League. As I do. Wow. What were you saying <laughs> off air? AZ Alkmaar, AZ West Alkmaar, Ham? Yeah. You can't get much bigger than that, can you? No. As I've been <laughs> saying all week, the, the Champions League on Tuesday and Wednesday is like the support act for the, yeah, Euro- the Europa Razor. Conference on a Thursday, which is sort of the headlo- European headline game of the season. Yeah, wow. Are you going to get tickets for that? Where is it? Uh, well, the semi-finals are two legs, so I'm going to the, I'll okay. go to the home game. Oh. And then there's this sort of existential crisis about how, can I possibly plan a trip to Prague for, for a final that I cannot bear <laughs> is it Prague? Wow. to even consider that West Ham might be in because there's a whole semi-final to play. Who is, who's in the other semis? Do you know? Uh, Fiorentina and Basel wow. are in the other semi. Good knowledge. Well played. Yeah, we should mention at this point too, on a football note, um, you'll notice that Stephen Jones is not on this podcast after that result on the weekend. Yeah. 6-1. That was unbelievable. What's it? That is a bit of an equivalent of Newcastle, isn't it? Just yeah, I've tried to phone him a few five. times, but he's going straight to voicemail. <laughs> he's just going to be off for the next few weeks, recovering. Yeah. Well, we'll leave, we'll leave Spurs there because we don't really have any knowledge on that, but we do have knowledge of European Cups and all that, so... And we've got people on who can tell us lots about them. So why don't we tee up first, Don Mackay, and then after that we'll get on to some chat with Henry Slade too. Right, so now on the right, we're delighted to be joined by Chairman of EPCR, Don Mackay. How are you, Dom? How's it going? I'm very well, thank you, Will. Um, pleasure to be with you this morning. Good to see you. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much for coming along. On a, on a big week for you guys, lots of semi-finals over the weekend. What does a successful weekend look like for you guys organising this competition? Or well, both of them, actually, the Champions it's, and Challenge Cups. Well, it's, it's, it's a dream week in many respects when you've got the semi-finals of the Heineken Champions Cup and, and the Challenge Cup to look forward to. Um, there's going to be some incredible games across the weekend. You know, that Leinster-Toulouse game is a, is a mini, potentially, Rugby World Cup final. Mm. It's an incredible game. Um, and then when you look across into France, you've got La Rochelle taking on Exeter, another unbelievable match. And then in our Challenge Cup, we've got representatives from from uh, France and Italy and Wales and, and Scotland. So again, it demonstrates, I guess, the power and the size and the scale of the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup and that they're in such great uh, health at the moment. Yeah. So how are we doing for ticket sales? How many are you expecting at, at the big two in the Champions Cup? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, I think we'll probably have around 45,000 over in Dublin, which is an incredible okay. number. Um, and we're very, very proud and pleased about that. So huge thanks to the supporters again for, for backing the clubs in these huge uh, huge games. And then over in Bordeaux, it's sold out. Awesome. I mean, we'll have over 40,000. So the, the ticket sales, I guess, is, a, is one barometer of the, the health of the, the competition and the direction of rugby, I think demonstrates that we're, we're in great shape. 
and I know that the sales are really good in the, in the Challenge Cup as well. So I think we're, we're all seeing across sport um, people wanting to be back in stadiums, back in live action following the, the challenges we all experienced during COVID. And um, there's nothing like a, a semi-final of the, the Champions Cup to get people excited. Yeah, and you mentioned Dublin there. Obviously, that's where your final is. And people have been a bit, I don't know, if you're in Leinster, you think it's a great idea that you're playing in Dublin every time there's a knockout game. And they've top seeds, weren't they? So they benefited from that. But is that, an, is that a satisfactory thing? Do you think that um, Leinster have played a lot of their home games in the knockouts pretty much and lots of people outside Ireland would say well I don't know there could be a better way of doing that what would you say to that? Yes I recognise that there's different views on that of course I think there's also a a pragmatic view which is rugby is rebuilding itself financially off the back of a very challenging few years during Covid so all all the clubs get the opportunity to make sensible pragmatic decisions about where they're going to base themselves um, for, for their games and I know that um, and you can see the crowd numbers that have come through those quarters, et cetera, for, for Leinster, um, that it's been financially helpful for them. And I think we would recognise that across the whole game, and because we represent three leagues and the stakeholders, we get to see rugby, both from a professional point of view, but also from an international perspective. And we recognise that the game you know, is important to, to generate revenues. And that's a, a reason that Leinster, of course, will have gone to the bigger stadium. Mm. How do you balance choosing venues, Don? Because... On the one hand, there's the argument that, that a, a final venue should be completely neutral. Um, and obviously, if Leinster make it, it'll be, it'll be at a home stadium. On the other hand, th- for those of us who had the, the, the pleasure of being in Marseille last year, the fact that the, the Challenge Cup final was in Marseille meant that Toulon fans were able to, to stream along the coast and, and make, make the occasion what it was. There are two sides to that story. Yeah, well, look, um, I have the, the privilege of hosting the, the European Cup final and the Challenge Cup final at Murrayfield when I was, when I was working up in, in Edinburgh. And it was, it's a wonderful thing for a city to host such a prestigious set of finals. And it's brilliant for the supporters to travel and, and come and have a great experience in great cities. Um, so we've actually just launched this week a bid process for 25 and 26, where we're, we're looking across the sort of uh, international family to see which cities and which stadium might like to host. And our balance has always been to make sure we get iconic locations and iconic cities that befit such a prestigious final. Marseille was incredible last season. You know, we were fortunate the weather was amazing. We had 120,000 people across the weekend in Marseille for rugby, having a great experience with, with no problems whatsoever. And this weekend, this, uh, this final will be in Dublin and it will be sold out for the Champions Cup. The Challenge Cup will be over 35, 40,000. It'll be an incredible weekend in Dublin. And the vast majority of tickets are sold well in advance of anybody knowing who's going to be in the knockout stages, never mind who's going to be in the final. And I think that demonstrates the power and the size and the scale of, of the Champions Cup. We want to make sure we go into new markets and we grow the, the sport and grow the rugby sort of audience. But we also want to do that in a respectful way that doesn't make it uh, impossible for supporters to get to, to certain locations. Um, I was down in Cape Town um, just before Christmas and the mayor of Cape Town was petitioning me very hard to, mm-hmm. to bring a... a a Champions Cup final I bet he was. Uh, down to Cape Town. And, Some journalists uh, which, are doing uh, which that is, too. <laughs> which, which is great. And again, it shows you there's a real interest in hosting these wonderful weekends. Um, our job is to try and make sure we, we balance the, the, the finance along with the sustainability of, of, uh, of the tournament. So, Dom, yeah, just to update our listeners, you said at the back end of last week, you've opened a bidding for 25's final and 26's final. So do you think of those two, one of them will likely be in South Africa. Is that as early as we could see a South African final, do you think? I, I, genuinely too soon to say, I think, Will. I think our, our, our plan is to go to the market 
and see what the returns look like in terms of the cities and in terms of the, the venues. We're announcing tomorrow um, our finals for, for 2024, which is another unbelievable stadium in a globally recognised iconic city, which will, be, which will be great fun and a great weekend again of rugby ne- next season in terms of a final. Our job is just to make sure we keep building year upon year on our finals weekend and actually make the weekend a bit longer. Try and make mm. activity happen from the Thursday all the way through to the Sunday, not just the two Champions Cup games and the two Challenge Cup games. We want to make the, the final as big as we possibly can. So the team are working quite hard to, to find ways to make it really exciting for the audiences to come and spend a couple of days in, in a city. So do we have to guess, Alex, yeah, where the final is? Yeah, we have to play is? a guessing game here. I, you I'm going to vote Amsterdam. I'd like to go you there. You can't tease us like that without giving <laughs> us a little clue. I'm, go- I'm saying I- Barcelona. Oh, that'd be good. I suspect, I'm not sure where you're doing the podcast from, but I suspect you won't need to travel too far. That's, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. Trains um, trains or planes are we getting on? I suspect you'll be on trains for this okay, particular okay. one. Mm, um, right. what, 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 what's, been, what's been fun <laughs> as part of the process is the number of uh, cities who are new to rugby showing an interest in, in hosting these finals. And again, that's testament to the quality of the players and the quality of the teams that we, we put, it, put together because the... The Heineken Champions Cup weekend and the Challenge Cup weekend do an enormous thing in terms of promoting a city and a country on an international scale. But they also generate a huge amount of economic impact for that city or for that country. So um, we we make these decisions um, sensibly, but we also do that with our supporters in mind because we want to make sure that those destination finals are fantastic for supporters. So do you want to see a, a year in a few where there's a game, let's say in Amsterdam or, or Barcelona or Lisbon or Munich or somewhere like that, would you like to take it to sort of non-traditional rugby EPCR venues? EPCR had just got to the point of being adventurous like that when yeah. when COVID hit and then understandably had to... Bilbao, Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, exactly that. So uh, Newcastle, Marseille, Bilbao, we, we've got ambition embedded into the DNA of our new strategy. So we launched a new strategy last year, the first time actually for EPCR. And there's four parts to that strategy. One was about making sure we've got the best possible format and tournament we can we can have. Secondly, was investing in our brand to make sure that we look after our existing audience, but we grow our audience internationally. The third part was making sure we've got good alignment between our leagues. We represent the three leagues and we also represent the, the, the unions. And then fourth was our own innovation. Be smart, do new things, excite people and do that in a respectful way. So as part of that strategy, we would love to make sure that our our finals are in locations which excite and challenge our players, our coaches, but also our supporters. Um, So if we can go to new locations as we've done in the past, we're completely up for that. And that's part of the reason why we've we've opened the bidding process up uh, quite widely and done it over two years. Yeah, okay. On the innovation thing, on the, the newest thing that you've done, I suppose, is inviting the South Africans to join. And I know none of them are in the uh, last four of each competition, but they got into the, the last eight, didn't they? The Sharks and the Stormers. Um, where do you merit that now, a year or so on after having made that decision? Is it, has it been everything you wanted it to be? Have there still teething problems? I mean, we saw the Stormers having to leg it to Exeter with a bit of a quick turnaround via various routes, didn't we? What can we iron out that would help next season with those South African teams? It's been a perfect first year in many respects. I think the feedback that we've had um, from our sporting point of view is the South African clubs have added real excitement and drama and quality into into the competition. So number one, sporting, um, we're we're pleased with the progress there. Secondly, in terms of the the travel logistics, our our European teams headed down South Africa um, have gone down and, and come back with great stories of positive experiences. Not only have they enjoyed the challenge of playing against South African opposition, 
but they've enjoyed the experience of being in a different hemisphere with the different challenges that that throws up and also giving them an opportunity to spend some time as a team um, away from the, the tradition of the sort of domestic environment. So I think logistically we're, we're pleased with that. There's definitely some learnings for particularly some of our South African colleagues and our South African teams to, to work on and we're keen to work with them on that in terms of uh, sending teams up to the north in, in the best possible shape. And then thirdly, in terms of commerce, you know, we, we think it's got a, a, an opportunity for us to grow our, our, commer- our commerce side, more financials back into, into the game. We've got a great partnership with the South African Rugby Union, a great partnership with the broadcaster Supersport, and that will only build in, in the years ahead. So from an audience point of view, watching 35,000 spectators come out for the Storm or his Harlequins game was a demonstration that the South African public are really beginning to fall in love with the Champions Cup and indeed the Challenge Cup, and that will only continue to grow. South Africa is an incredible country from a rugby and a sporting point of view. Our, our challenge is just to make sure that we... We keep building step by step. Yeah, okay. So the other thing that fans will want to know the answer to, um, which I know you're keen to to revamp the structure of the tournament for the next few seasons. So can you tell us anything about what it might look like next next season? Sorry, I think we know that it's still going to be 24 teams because we've got eight from each league qualifying. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. We've got a structure just now that we want to improve. uh, And our format is... uh, is, is going to evolve and we intend to, to evolve it. Um, what we want to make sure is that the format delivers the best possible um, sporting outcomes um, and also delivers the clearest and easiest way for fans to, to clearly see how their team can progress. And it's importantly easy for broadcasters and journalists to, to explain and to articulate to bring in new fans. And I think perhaps there were some compromises that were made previously on the format that didn't allow it to be the easiest narrative mm. to, to explain, particularly at the beginning with the conference structure and, and how that flowed. So we really like the idea of going back to the pools. We're really interested in getting the pool format back front and centre. So we've got a little bit of work to do on, on fine-tuning our format for, for next year, and we hope to sort of finalise that in, in the coming weeks. But we're also looking further afield into future seasons. Are there further more strategic changes that we can uh, consider or implement that would um, further develop and invigorate the competition. We've got a brilliant competition, so we don't want to do anything that um, causes it to be uh, going backwards in any sense, but we want to make sure, like I mentioned earlier on, we innovate and we do things which are sensible to recognise that the game of rugby is changing. So how can we make sure that our format evolves to recognise the the changing nature of of the sport and do that in a way that is uh, player-centric? We want to make sure that the format works for the players logistically and uh, it creates the drama that we're all, we all love. So but if it, you look at the format at, at the moment, um, there are some natural improvements that we believe we can make. Yeah, yeah. So should we expect the last 16 to stay or is it straight into quarterfinals? Does the number of weeks change next season or is it going to be the same as this year? So we- ne- ne- next next season will be the same number of weeks. Um, yeah. We're certainly locked in for, for eight weeks for, for next season. We're, we're having a bit of a debate and a discussion internally um, with our colleagues about future seasons in terms of the number of weekends. Um, we used to, if you remember, have nine weekends um, mm. and we gave one weekend back to the clubs partly to support their aspirations during COVID and to help them locally. Um, we're being encouraged to have a look at that again. So we're looking at the moment, the number of weekends, the number of teams and the flow of the weekends across the season. But we'll do that in a thoughtful way. We'll do that in a way that makes sure that we make the right sensible decision for the players and for the supporters. But there's some sensible tactical decisions that we believe we can make for next season that will and further reinvigorate this outstanding competition. Six pools of four, that's what I reckon. 
That's what I'd do. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're talking to the right man. There you go. That's my vote. Six balls of four. The winners of each, plus a couple of runners up. Straight into the quarters. That's a very, a very sensible suggestion. Well, with a, with we'll a final in Amsterdam. Yeah. We'll get to. Final of Amsterdam. Your sponsor's product doing well there. As well. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you're in the wrong gig. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Don, we've taken loads of your time this morning and really appreciate it. And, and all the best for the, the semis this weekend. There are going to be a couple of, well, four crackers, I suppose. So, but yeah, really appreciate you coming on and let's keep talking. Thanks for coming on the ruck. Well, Alex, great to see you. Cheers, Dom. Awesome. Thank you. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks very see much, Dom. So I think we're being a bit ambitious there, aren't we, with Amsterdam and Barcelona. That might be our personal preference, but yeah. we, we, we pretty much know it's, it's going to be Tottenham, don't we? Yeah, well, they wanted to have it in Tottenham in 2021, and Marseille was 2020, but obviously those got moved because of mm. COVID, where 21 ended up being 10,000 people at Twickenham and 20 was at um, Ashton Gates, wasn't it? With no one there next to winning it. So, yeah, likely to be Tottenham. Dublin only substituted in because Tottenham had a football clash, I think. Yeah. So, likely to be Spurs. Likely to be Spurs. All right. But, yeah, but I think, yes, it's not taking it to a brand new no. um, city or country, but it is taking it to a new stadium. And, and I suppose, you do, do you get you quite get the sort of weekend vibe that they're talking about in London? Maybe less so? Because well, it's we sort don't, of, because we're here. But, but I, yeah, but I mean, the, I don't know. Depends who gets into the final, doesn't it? But the sort of Thursday to Sunday thing that Don was talking about, it's more mm. likely to happen where lots of people are all travelling and it's a bit of a different city, maybe, I don't know. Different experience, but Tottenham is a... It's an incredible stadium to play Have in. Have you been? I haven't I've no, actually I, been I, there. You talked to, I had a chat to Danny Kerr, who was like beside himself with excitement about playing there. And from a, yeah, from a spectator experience, there's not a bad seat in, in the house. Mm. Um, so yeah, our, our predictions, I mean, by the time you listen to this, everyone probably, unless, you, unless you're an immediate downloader, we may all know the answer, but we're expecting, I expect Tottenham for that. Spurs, but I do yeah. think they need to, they need to get that adventurous streak back in their decision making a little bit. Um, the top fourteen took their their final to Barcelona a few years ago, mm. and I think Stade de France was unavailable and sold it out. Sold out the new camp. Yeah, um, and that you know then you're talking about an experience. You've got to keep it accessible. But wow, I mean Amsterdam, Barcelona, they would be awesome. The venues. other two that I heard a few months ago that were just being talked about were um, Benfica, so Lisbon, that'd be pretty yeah. cool. And um, Munich, the Allianz yeah, Arena. Yeah, Sebastian worked, didn't it? Yeah. Um, brilliantly. So. Did you go to that one? Is That was Sarri's, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I didn't. Slotty no. no. went to that one. But yeah, we'll have a good weekend in Dublin. But it'd be good to, it would be good to evolve this championship, get the pools back, bring a narrative back to the competition. We, we, we spent a lot of time this week and we were talking to people at Prem Rugby and the, the need to have a narrative through the season is is paramount now it's very clear commercially engagement wise and this season has been just all over the place we yeah. don't quite know your teams are having weeks off not helped by the loss of two clubs but teams having weeks off it feels like more jumping between competitions than ever plus mm. the competition itself no one quite knows what it means so i think i think they're they're moving in the right direction of of he talked about innovating and 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 bringing in new ideas. This is actually going back to a tried and trusted yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, format. The one thing that we didn't mention, which maybe we should have done, is that they've never been to Italy for a final, which feels a bit remiss. Yeah, so it? they were due to go, weren't they? Milan, I think. That San cool. Siro was down, and then they they got cold feet. I got a feeling they went to Newcastle instead of the San Siro. Okay, yeah, okay. In the end, but. Um, again, feel, I mean, they Italy were won that... the World Cup. They've they've looked at going for it in thirty. 34 whichever they, they were starting to get adventurous and then covid has forced them to mm. to hit a few guaranteed venues and it'd just be nice for them to 
to spread their wings a bit, I think. Yeah, well, there's lots of administration chat done, and now let's talk to someone who's going to be on the pitch on the weekend, because uh, next on the ruck, we're delighted to be joined by Exeter Chiefs and England centre, Henry Slade. So he's coming up next. Right, so now on the ruck, we're delighted to be joined by England and Exeter Chiefs centre, Henry Slade. And Henry, we were just talking off air, all your sporting teams have got big finishes to the season. We've got Exeter Chiefs in La Rochelle against Bordeaux, Plymouth Argyle top of League One, and West Ham in a Europe, European Conference League semi against AZ Alkmaar. The big one. The big, the big one. one. Which one's yeah. getting you more excited <laughs> out of those three? <laughs> well, I'll have to say our game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, yeah it's, all, it's all exciting. It's all exciting. It's always like, it's always. The end, and this time of year, when it gets down to business, the business end of each competition, it's always a, a good time to be a fan, I guess. But obviously, an even better time to be a player. So we're really excited. Massive week for the club. Um, obviously, things haven't gone the way we'd like to in the league, in the Premiership. But um, something really exciting for us to get after now in, in Europe. And boys are looking forward to it. And I saw extra fans snapped up the tickets available for the, the semi in, in Bordeaux in, in record time, didn't they? Really? What? What's yeah? What's the? I, sold out already. Yeah, sold out with a week or so to go. Yeah. How many? How many is that? It's like forty-five thousand, something yeah, like that. It's going to yeah. be a big occasion. Is it? Bloody hell! Yeah, nice one. That's going to be. That's going to be awesome. Like I say, hopefully we have got a fair few few guys going down to support. It'll be it'll be class. Um, away trips in France are always always ones to remember. But yeah, semi-finals in what looks like a pretty cool stadium will be. Yeah, should be a hell of an atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to be quite different from your last. European semi, which was Sandy Park, no one in the ground, COVID, Toulouse. What were your memories of that one? That was such a weird day, that, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, memories of that, yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable game. Toulouse, a hell of a side. One of the toughest games I've ever played in uh, for Exeter Chiefs. French teams, like, obviously, a real good balance, a lot of skillful players, a lot of some some big forwards. Um, and we just sort of had to stick in it. We stayed front. Um, Toulouse had a few, a few try scoring opportunities in the first 15, 20 minutes, and we just hang, hung on. Um, ended up bringing it back and may end up being very similar this this time obviously they've got some big lads some very skillful boys it's going to be a hell of a test uh, like I say that it was very different back then no one in the crowd um, sort of had to create your own atmosphere uh, so it, I reckon it, it, it did sort of take home advantage away um, obviously having no one there but it is it's going to be it's going to be cool I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I think it's added that extra little bit bit of excitement having having a whole whole crowd there and, and selling out a massive stadium is going to be awesome um, like I say we, we we did win that that one in COVID but the only thing the only thing to sort of take the take the, the edge off it was that the fact that it was, there was no one there to see it happen mm-hmm. so that's definitely something that's driving the boys on and um, yeah it's a really exciting time to be to be at Chiefs yeah so that that team obviously that, that won that a couple of years ago as we well know is kind of breaking up isn't it With a few have gone already but yeah. more leaving at the end of this season so Talk to us about the motivation of that kind of last dance feel to this end of the season with this and let's hope one more big game to come. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's really hit me yet, to be honest, because all the lads are still here mm. and I still feel uh, on a day off, I'll still be like, oh, what, what are you guys doing? Let's go get lunch or you know, we'll go out for a, for a drink or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, probably, I don't know if it'll hit me as much until they do their leaving speeches in a couple of weeks' time in the last last day or something or or next year when I'm at a loose end and wanna wanna do something with one of the boys and they're not there. But we have we have spoken about how it's been such a long time. We've we've been together and been such good mates for so long and 
that is now coming to an end and we've we've definitely made it it's definitely given us massive motivation to send them out on a high and send them away with some silverware and and give them a special ending to their times here because they've given so much to the club and a lot of in a lot of their for a lot of them it's over half their lives they've given to this club uh, and to the group and and to, to the boys so yeah we really want them to to be given a, a, a hell of a present to go away with and a uh, European Cup would be would be just that because yeah. you, your, your academy house Henry yeah. would have been, was was who yourself Luke Jack Dave Ewers yeah Four. I shared a room me and Dave and I shared a room <laughs> for how long it was quite a big room but we had two beds there wow was, we shared a room for about six months I reckon until one of the other lads moved out and then we all had our own room but yeah we were basically sleeping together that's that's how tight you guys yeah. have all been all that's the way that, yeah. from the academy days yeah it's been a long time I, I think it's been Dave was actually here before a year or two I think, I think the year before us so he's been 13 years but it's our 12th year this year um, so it's been yeah it's been a long time and yeah it's going to be it's going to be a sad it's going to be a sad sad day at the end of the season when, when we have to say all our goodbyes Hopefully they'll be back. They'll be back seeing family and seeing us boys, and hopefully we might get out to to see them at that points as well. If we get bits of breaks in the season, yeah. But Dave's Dave's having his boys. Well, he's, he's gonna. He'll be a dad at some point, so it'd be it'd be weird getting that sort of not being able to see his see his kid when he when they get born, whatever whatever it is, boy or girl. Jack's obviously just had a new kid, so it's gonna be strange not being around him growing up. But yeah, hopefully we we'll get to see him. We we'll get to see him in in bits um, here and there. Um, I'm sure they'll be back and I'm sure we'll get chances to go out and see them but yeah it'd be strange yeah so how, how do you when you think about the match balance it emotionally because I suppose you don't want to go too far down the road of this could be the last time and all that because it might I don't know push you over the edge almost and a big crowd a big semi-final you want to be as clinical as possible I suppose but it can be a fire in the belly too so how are you trying to manage that through the week yeah like you say it's, it's, it's a fine line isn't it you don't want you you, you need that emotional energy to, to bring the best out of yourselves, but there is a fine line between boiling that over the edge. But I think we've been drawing on that recently in recent performances pretty well. I think the weekend was was a pretty emotional one with with us with the boys having their last home games at Sandy Park and the, and the last couple of European knockouts have been been the same sort of thing. So I think we've we've been able to manage that pretty well on the whole. I think the key the key is for us not expecting it to be there just because it, we talk we we think it'll be there. We've got to we got to prepare for these games like we always do, uh, and add on that that bit of emotional energy with that, and it, I think it, it creates a pretty good, pretty pretty good combination. Obviously, we know how good we know how good La Rochelle are. They need no they need no introduction. They're unbelievable side with some great players, very well coached, threats everywhere. So we know it's going to be tough. But yeah, we just want to we just want to give the boys uh give the boys a good send off and and put in a performance that that they deserve. We've seen we've seen Jack Jack and Noel pack down on the back row a couple of times but as a player how do you look at a, at a an opponent a rival like Lavani Bottia who can be just as devastating whether he's playing at 7 in midfield or, or on the wing he did he did such a job on Saracens in that quarter final. A I guess what he brings to La Rochelle but B just as a as a pro rugby player to see someone who can slot in in any of those positions and be just as just as devastating. It's he's a unique talent, isn't he? Yeah, um, unbelievable. He's as good as any seven you see over the ball. He can sling past with both hands. He's got good feet. Like you can fit anywhere, and like, that's sort of almost a perfect rubber play. You know what I mean? It is cool to see. It's definitely something not something I could do. <laughs> I'm nowhere near 
nowhere near a threat over the ball, a threat over the ball like he is. Yeah, there's 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 a handful of players that can do that, and yeah, he's a very special guy to be able to do that, and a massive massive part of their team and their success. So we're gonna have to be right on our right on our money dealing with him wherever he plays. So, but like 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 I said a minute ago, they got so many players all over the team that we can't you can't really single out who's the most who's the biggest threat because you probably don't know they've probably got so many boys who are who are, who are like that so um yeah it's going to be a hell of a challenge but a really really exciting week for us it, it's power isn't it that, that that they build everything around that the size of their pack is is enormous do you guys how do you how do you embrace that physical challenge you talked about that to lose game and, and maybe kind of having to recreate that mindset but it you've got to match them there first haven't you before yeah. you guys can can think of doing anything else yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You have to match, you have to match them physically, and then and then try and expose them in in areas that we will we will we'll try to. I'm not going to leak out what we're trying to do yet, but um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a game. They got some big lads. We've got some big lads. It's going to be a big test for our big boys. You know, trying to match their lads in the physicality stakes is going to be no easy task, but it's something that's going to have to be going to have to be done. I think, but I think lads are, are really excited about this week coming um, and the challenges they're going to face and being able to test themselves against the best because that's they're, they're definitely up there with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Henry, best of luck for it on the weekend. Um, I'm going to be there. Bordeaux's going to be a good one, isn't it? I mean, 45,000 people, European Cup semi-final, you can't get much better than that, can awesome. you? Awesome. Nice one. You like your wine? Yes, yes. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Didn't think about that. I'm getting an early flight on Monday morning, so maybe that might be a tricky one. Bring some back with you. Yeah, no, good point. Yeah, good point. Well, look, really appreciate you coming on, Henry, and all the best for the weekend and um, go and smash it. Yeah, and to Plymouth and to West Ham. Cheers, boys. Thank you. <laughs> Triple header. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, so next on The Ruck, we're talking all things Women's Six Nations with Jess Hayden. Jess, you're back. How was your weekend? It was great, thank you. I was working behind the desk, so I had quite a busy weekend, but got to watch some women's rugby in between working, so it was good fun. Absolutely, yeah. So last week we teed up the Ireland-England one, saying oh, it could be nasty, it could be 100, but it wasn't in the end. So what do we take from that one? That Was it a bit more positive for the Irish, even though they didn't score a point? I mean, it's odd to be positive about a 48-0 defeat at home, isn't it? You're absolutely right. And I think it tells us two things. You know, it's a 48-0 win to start. It's important to just get that out there. And yet the England camp were talking afterwards about how disappointed they are with the result. And Ireland as well, I think they were um, quite pleased not to it be a you know a hundred nil defeat. The record in that fixture is seventy nine nil to England, and many people, including Rachel Burford in her Times column, said this is going to be a record breaking win. And 
it was an absolutely fair prediction. I think I said on the ruck that it could well be uh, over a hundred point win. And I think there are a few things that cause the game to be a bit closer than that. And I know again, calling a 48 nil win close is a bit ridiculous, but England, I think kind of, there were seven changes to the side. Uh, they kind of failed to build momentum in, especially in the first half. And there were so many unforced errors from England. I know they will not be happy with that performance at all. You know, missed passes, knock-ons, just really sloppy play at times. With Ireland, their defence was just incredible. Um, At times, it was really impressive. They just did not give up fighting at all. Mm. There was a moment just before the game started in the anthems where the camera panned over Nicola Friday, the captain, and with all respect to her, the bags under her eyes were so telling um, because she's had a really awful week where she said she's been having messages from people saying she's letting Ireland down and um, that the team are, uh, should be ashamed of how they're representing the country. And I think that's really difficult for the players to hear. And they were obviously aware of people saying it was going to be 100 nil. And they did not stop fighting. And that's mm. what I was saying as well on the Rucker last week, that they will not give up without a fight. So, yes, it's a 48-0 win. Can we say that's close at all? No, but it's a damn sight closer than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. And slight bad news for England is that Marley Packer got injured, didn't she? So what's what do we know about that? Is she going to be fit for France, do you think? We haven't had an injury update yet. So Marley Packer, the captain, and Hannah Bottoman, the front row, they've both they both were injured. Um, Hannah Bottoman has just returned from injury and was quite visibly upset at the the thought of being injured again. Mm. Marley Packer was in a boot after the match, but Simon Middleton joked that even if a player has a bad shoulder, the medics always put them in a boot right. after the match just as a preventative measure. So yeah. I doubt either will be playing next weekend at Twickenham for obvious reasons. They both look very injured. They're both very tough players. Marley Packer especially. She doesn't go down easy and she doesn't go off the pitch easily. I spoke to Rachel Burford earlier, just catching up on the weekend, and she thought that perhaps Marley might just beg the physio to strap it up and let her play. It hmm. looks like an ankle injury. We haven't had an update yet, as I say. Um, so that she can go out at Twickenham because it's a huge occasion. You know, the Red Roses first standalone fixture there and to lead your country out at Twickenham is obviously an amazing opportunity. So, yeah, no update yet, but I'm sure both will be fighting this week to try and uh, get as fit as they can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll get on to the the decider, England-France, in a sec, but we should probably mention the Scots, shouldn't we, first? Ending a 12-match losing run. That was probably the most marquee result of the weekend. It was lovely for Scotland. There were scenes at the end of the match there, Rachel Malcolm, the captain, in floods of tears as soon as the final whistle went, because it's their first win in almost two years. Uh, They've had a run of 12 losses. The World Cup wasn't great for them at all, and it meant a lot. Italy are a really good side as well, and I predicted that Italy would win that match. It was close, 29-21 to Scotland in the end. Um, but Scotland were just great in that 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 final 20 minutes. They held on. And I really hope that now this gives them the confidence to um, kind of build on that. And they face Ireland in the, the final round of the Six Nations. And there's every chance that they could put a performance against Ireland as well. So that game will be really important. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So should we talk the finale, the potential Grand Slam for England if they were to beat France? The 50-odd thousand plus are going to be at Twickenham. But the biggest question is, Jess, what's your favourite Sugar Babe song? <laughs> You're obsessed with the Sugar Babe. <laughs> you are. 
Alex, are you going to offer one? Uh, you you mentioned this before the but last week as well. You just love the sugar paste. My favorite. I think it's quite a cool get. So I was talking to someone who will remain nameless on the on on our Time Sport desk because I was going to the Quinns game last weekend and thought I was just saying to them, oh, it's quite cool they've got Kaiser Chiefs," and he was a bit like, "Well, yeah, maybe in like 2008." Was, he was like, "I'm more excited <laughs> about Sugar Babes," and then reeled off about 15 Sugar Babes songs, and I was like, "Wow, it's good effort." So you, you're not going to give me one? I'm, I'm push the buttons, mine, I reckon. No, push the buttons, mine. I love that song. Yeah, it's a classic. Do. But um, I'm definitely going to ask you once we finish recording who the person on the desk is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alex is a bit too cool for Sugar Babes, I think. I can't, yeah, I can't they don't go to Ronnie Scott's one. much, do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Is it still the same? Oh, no, that's not asked that question. <laughs> no, they change the lineup every yeah. five minutes, don't they? But anyway, so more importantly, actual rugby on the field. Um, it always ends up with England, France, doesn't it? But. Are we are we going to see France cause an upset? They seem to always get so close to England and always lose. That feels like there's a bit of a mental block there. You know, this game is incredibly hard to call because France have just got stronger through the tournament and they won 39-14 against Wales over the weekend and are just looking stronger and stronger. And at the start of the tournament, I thought they kind of looked a bit unorganised on the pitch. They didn't really seem to have a clear game plan and they lacked fitness and as the tournaments progressed, they've just got stronger and stronger. And that performance against Wales was really something. It was it was 29-0 at half time and Wales won the, the second half, as they say. But um, really, France were, were the dominant force there. And I think because England have had a relatively poor performance in round four, it is all to play for, um, especially with the injuries that England now have. And just to remind you that Marley Packer and Hannah Bottom are the latest injuries. There are so many players missing from England's squad who would normally be in that starting team. So England are potentially a lot weaker than they were at the World Cup when they won just 13-7 against France in the in the pool stages. So it's a, it's all up for grabs and as I say, I was speaking to Rachel Burford earlier and because she's so close to the squad and she um, knows a lot of these players and has played against a lot of the France players. And her opinion was it's too tight to call and whoever shows up in the day will take the Grand Slam. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really exciting match. And having 50,000 fans in Twickenham, I think we automatically assume that that's an advantage to England. But England aren't used to playing in stadiums yeah, that true. far. We know what happened at the World Cup final. Mm. Um, the whole Eden Park was behind New Zealand, really. And England struggled. And a lot of that, I think, was the pressure of the noise that they just weren't used to. And what players have said to me about the final was we could not get messages from the coaches onto the pitch because yeah. it was so bad. And I do wonder whether that will be the same at Twickenham. You know, can the players cope with that loud noise? Whereas in France... They are very used to having large crowds, not 50,000, because this will be a record for a women's rugby fixture, record crowd. But they are used to having lots and lots of fans in their stadium. So they are more used to that support and the noise and the pressure of being in that kind of environment. So it really is all to play for. I think people assume that this is going to be an England walkover. Far from it. It will probably be quite low scoring, in my opinion. And well, I'm scared to give you my predictions because I've been wrong. And I said a hundred nil for England Island, and you know you said to me last week. Sometimes we have to make predictions and make yeah, ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I've definitely taken my fair share. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I, I think it could be quite low scoring. Okay, all right. And if she's wrong, at Jess Hayden on Twitter, <laughs> pile on. 
£10,000 fine for you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Jess. Well, well, we'll try and get you back on next week after um, the finale and everything else. But next on the rack, we'll do our God or Goddess of the Week nominations. Right, God or Goddess of the Week time, Alex. Have you got a, a nomination at your fingertips or do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, so I reckon, honourable mention to start with, mm. to the current leaders of the RFU Championship, Jersey Reds. Yeah. Great job. effort. So they beat Ealing, 1913, at home on Saturday, moved top of the table. They're now two points ahead with a game against seventh plaint Amptill to come. Ealing have got Doncaster in sixth, but neither can be promoted, which sucks, doesn't it? But, well, Jersey didn't even want to be promoted. They no. Didn't, they didn't even submit to No, they to didn't. The, uh, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because all, for all the consternation about, oh, no, they've blocked Ealing's passage to the top flight. Well, they've still got to win the league, mm. and they probably won't now. So that's a slight moot point. And actually, I think, to be honest, from conversation we've been having, promotion and relegation, don't expect it to come back for at least three or four years, guys. Like I think it's going to be a yeah. close shot for a while. Yeah. But right, my actual nomination um, is Ben Earl. Watching your the game you were at on Sunday, mm. just loved everything he was doing from running the most meters of anyone on the field to a few turnovers, one at the end, and a lovely grabber kick to the right-hand corner. Where actually I think he was just tired and it was left on the right wing, but <laughs> then went, oh, that, there's a, suddenly a space. Arundel popped up and he put it in behind and hit it off the corner flag and it ended up with Maui's first try so he's going to be my God of the Week nom yeah it was close to being the best kick of the game but I thought Rory Jennings who did did execute a 50-22 for mm. me although I suppose it is more his position as an inside centre but he played really nicely especially in that first period when London Irish were on top um, and it was his 50-22 that set the platform for London Irish who were in their first try um, and then the last was it the last kick of the game or right near the end Farrell kicked a touch with his left foot. Oh, yeah. Um, just for a laugh. Just for a laugh. He was asked about it afterwards. And he was like, well, it was closer to the touchline. Why not? Yeah. Um, although, as he walked in, he he saw the Man United FA Cup semi-final on the, oh, right, on yeah. the telly and like his, his jaw tensed up. <laughs> he started talking about their Europa, Europa uh, debacle on Thursday night. And oh, no. So we had, to, we had to drag him out of that <laughs> to talk about the game. Uh, my nominee, it's an odd weekend because there's just not been enough like meaty games to take your judgment from I'll go Farrell was awesome again I mean he's just he was excellent but I will go Theo Dan because it's just really nice to see young players being given an an opportunity at the highest level and taking it Mm. we talk a lot about about the, the the system at the moment not allowing these young players to play enough games injuries and suspensions and rests have allowed him a few performances, a few opportunities for Saracens, and man, he's taken them. So I'm going to go for him because we all love to see the next generation of talent bursting through. And Yeah. Um, yeah, he's class. So, yeah, he gets my my nomination. Maybe, maybe a, a devil a devil of the week in honour of Mark Evans who brought this to the pod, just to the two, the two major league rugby coaches who ended up yeah, in America. Turning, the, uh, turning their game into a, into a boxing match. There's a clip of it flying around social, which is kind of remarkable but yeah maybe, maybe a devil nod to them but I'm just a- thinking like, we, we haven't talked about it much but the Jack Knoll 10 grand fine for tweeting imagine the ban you'd oh, get yeah I could give a devil to the to the panel who gave him 10 grand I mean if you read the judgment 
<laughs> the judgment's really interesting, isn't it, Will? Yeah. In it, he says, I'd actually rather take a ban than a fine. Mm, possibly Pro- knowing he was injured. Probably knowing <laughs> he was injured. And secondly, the, the panel, he was asked to present his financial situation to the panel, which is redacted in the full verdict. But he, they've obviously decided that he can afford to pay a 10 grand fine. Yeah. Um, quite what happens if he now just heads off to France without paying it. Well, they've said know. it has to be paid before the start of the French season in that, I think. And he has to do this refereeing course and get a qualification. Yeah. Which I asked around about that, and it's a, it's a six-hour introductory to refereeing course thing, three hours in person and three on virtually, basically. See, for me, that would have been the perfect punishment. Mm. I think 10 grand is, whether, whether Jack Law can afford it or not, these guys aren't footballers. That's, a, that's way over the top for me. A referee course is a great idea. Mm. You know, it, it, it takes up a, a day. It's a day of his time, but it's actually a proactive, productive thing for for him to go and do. Uh, for me, that that would have been enough. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, there have been some gods of the week nominations. I might s- sneak in one very, very last honourable mention to a combo between Adam Rabwan and, and Matteo Carreras, who the only try that Newcastle actually scored was an unbelievable finish. Um, so we'll see if Carreras who actually gave the assist to Radwan, beats Murley. That's basically the only thing that's left sought out for mm. the try scorers of the season. Um, but yeah, for now, that's been a, pu- a packed and bumper ruck. Hopefully you're all looking forward to Champions Cup semi-finals in the weekend. Challenge Cups, if you're interested in that as well. And after the- those are all finished, we'll wrap them all up and come back next Monday to sort it all out. And by that point, we'll have two European finals on the horizon. But for now, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening. And this has been the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times epically produced by Alfie Reynolds and we haven't mentioned him for a bit so there you go Alfie there's your mention goodbye everyone